0: And he is wrecking havoc to this day against the Lord's church. Things that are taking place within churches that would have never been thought of 10, 15, 20 years ago. He's wrecking havoc within the church itself. We should not be ignorant of his devices. Satan has not changed his tactics. We're not to be ignorant of those devices. He desires to shake us, but we can stand firm when we stand firm on Christ alone and only him.
1: do in your life, we can get rid of pain and get rid of strife. All
0: you've got to do is let go and let go. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and talking about standing firm or standing fast today. As Paul says to us in verse 8, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. As we closed with this verse of scripture from Luke 6:47 last week, saying, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he's like. Verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house, it could not be shaken for the It was founded upon the rock and the necessity for us to be founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ because the storms are going to come. And it's only with Jesus that we are able to stand. Why was Paul so nervous for this young church? Now, he'd only been gone maybe less than a year before he sent Timothy back. Well, we know that he wrote this on the second missionary journey. He began the second missionary journey around AD 49. This is around AD 51-52 when he's writing this. He hadn't been gone very long. But why was Paul so concerned? I believe he was so concerned because he knew who his adversary was. He knew who he was fighting against in this world. In verse 5, it tells us, For this reason, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. He knew who their adversaries were, his people, quite often. But behind the people often is Satan and his followers. Coming against the young church there, he was wondering if they were still standing fast. I've been reading through this book. It's only five chapters long. It's easy to sit down and just read through it over and over again. And I've been doing it now for a couple of months. And this morning, as I was reading through chapter 3 again, I realized this word faith standing out. It's amazing how the Lord can continue to teach you through his word when you've read it, you know, some 20, some 30, some 40, some 50 times, and suddenly something else pops out at you. And here in this chapter alone, he was concerned in verse 2 about their faith. In verse 5 again, he mentions, I sent to know your faith. As Timothy comes back, he shares of their, verse 6, their faith and love. In verse 7, they were comforted concerning your faith. In verse 10, we want to come and see you to perfect what is lacking in your faith. That he was concerned about their faith. Over and over again, that word is, is mentioned here. He's wanting to see them strengthen upon that solid rock of Jesus Christ, standing firm because he knows his adversary, his adversary, Satan, the devil mentioned throughout Scripture. At one point, Paul will say, I do not want you to be ignorant in 2 Corinthians 11. I don't want you to be ignorant of Satan's devices. But I fear today in the church, there are many who are ignorant of Satan's devices in the church. He's not changed through the years. Satan's devices haven't changed at all. And we can see that as we kind of rehearse through some of these things where Satan has, has interjected in people's lives. They're in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. The scripture tells us in verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field. I've often thought of why he came in guise of the beast. And then this morning, it kind of dawned on me, well, he couldn't have come in the guise of any man because there was only Adam and Eve there in the garden. They, They were the creation. Adam and Eve, the children would come from them. They knew It was their family. They knew everybody on the face of the earth. And at that point, just the two of them. And so if he would have came as a man, they would have thought something suspicious. But he came as a serpent. And Eve was deceived by the craftiness of the serpent. She ate of the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and gave it to her husband, Adam, who was with her. Later on in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, where Paul says... Man wasn't deceived, but the woman Eve was deceived. And so that tells us that Adam knowingly ate the fruit. He knew what it would cost him. He knowingly disobeyed the word of God. And it was a serpent who did that, who brought the thought into their mind. And it was the Lord who came and shed the blood of the lamb, I believe, to make a covering for them, to cover their nakedness, that they could stand and be covered again physically and spiritually in faith with the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 21, verses 1 and 2, we read that Satan stood up against Israel and caused David to number the people. Think, mean, What's so bad about a census? Our nation does a census all the time. What's wrong with that, John? Well, it was an issue of faith. The Lord didn't want David to count his people because In counting his people, he was measuring how strong a nation they were when they went out to battle. How many soldiers do I have? How strong is our army? How big is it? And he was getting David to rely upon the flesh instead of relying upon the Lord. David's best friend, Jonathan, while he was living, was a man of great faith who said to his armor bearer, the Lord can save with many or with few, perhaps saying that he would choose to save with me and you this day. And as you know, that story. They went forth and slew 20 Philistines in a field of about a half-acre lot. And the battle was swung that day as Israel joined in. But it was Satan who stood up against the people of Israel by getting their king, David, to number the people. And David repented and stood firm upon that solid rock once again. In Job 1 and 2, we find an interesting story because we know the story of Job and all the afflictions that he went through, but it was Satan who was behind it all. And in Job 1 and 2, we see this heavenly picture of when the sons of God were standing before the Lord, Satan was there among them. Do you realize at this point, Satan still has access to the Father? Scripture calls him the accuser of the brethren, and that's exactly what he was doing with Job. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, yeah, you've built this hedge of protection around him. I can't go near him. Take down that hedge. Let me harm him. Let me bring harm to his family, his goods, his wealth, and he'll curse you. As we know the story, although he lost everything, even his children and even his physical health, he never cursed the Lord. Now, the Lord was working through Job, through that book, but we find Satan was behind it. I found it interesting that it, it said this of Satan. Satan, where you been? And he responded back to the Lord saying, I was going to and fro back and forth on the face of the whole earth. We have a verse of scripture in 2 Chronicles sixteen seventeen that tells us that the spirit of God goes to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for a man he can show himself strong in, looking for a woman, someone who he can just show himself strong in, and he's looking for people of faith but we also see Satan is, is going to and fro, back and forth. He's looking to see who he can mess with. Zechariah 3.1, the Lord showed Zechariah a vision. And now it's Joshua, the high priest, standing before the throne of God and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him before God. Joshua, the high priest, in filthy, dirty garments, Satan at his side, bringing accusations, saying, this man is a sinner. He doesn't deserve your salvation. and In that story, we see that the Lord takes off and says, strip off his filthy garments and give him a robe. A robe of righteousness was presented to him. A turban, a clean turban was given to him. But Satan was there behind it all. We know and look for the temptation of Christ. After 40 days and nights of fasting, Scripture tells us in Look 4 that Jesus was hungry. Now, I've never personally fasted beyond five days, but I've been told that this I do know, that when you begin a fast after two or three days, your hunger pains do go away. In those first few days, it's very difficult, but once they go away, they go away. But when they come back, it's your body telling you, feed me or you're going to die. Now, Jesus had just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Scripture tells us that he's hungry. He's hungry. And so it's his physical body saying, feed me or you will die. And with this, Satan came tempting, saying, take the stone and turn it into bread. And the Lord responding back, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my father's mouth. Saying to Jesus, you're God. You have the ability to feed yourself, to provide for yourself. Just take the rock and turn it into bread. Make manna out of it. And Jesus said, no way. Man shall not live by bread alone. But then he took him on a, a high mountaintop, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and said, all these will be yours if you'll simply bow down and worship me. Now, why didn't Jesus say to Satan, you don't own this world? What do you mean you'll give them to me if I bow down and worship you? I believe that there in the garden, when Adam fell into sin, he also forfeited the right to the dominion of this earth. And he forfeited it into the hands of Satan. Satan. Satan, now the Lord over this earth, the ruler of this earth, the prince of this earth. And Jesus Christ came to redeem not only mankind, but to redeem the earth back to the Father. And Jesus responding again to Satan saying, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then finally, knowing why Jesus came, that he was the Messiah and that it was necessary for the Messiah to reveal himself to people to Israel. He took him to the high place, the pinnacle of the temple, scripture tells us, and said, jump. For scripture has said he has given his angels charge over you, saying that they won't even allow your foot to be dashed on a stone. So he's basically saying, Jesus, according to the word of God, if you jump from this place, the angels are going to protect you. You're just going to kind of float down. And when people see that, well, they're going to worship you. And Jesus responded and said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Do you see how Jesus responded back to Satan every time he was using the word of God? Every time he used the word of God. And at that point, Satan left him for a season. He would return and deal with Christ again and tempt him ultimately there on the cross. But he left for a season. We need to be people who knows who our adversary is, Satan. But we also need to be people who know how to use the Word of God to help us stand firm when the temptations come. Jesus stood firm because he stood firm upon his Father's Word. Interesting, in Luke 22, 31, we find that Jesus says to Peter that Satan has asked for you. He has asked for you to sift you like wheat. And we know this to be the time of Peter's denial against Christ there after Jesus was arrested and as Peter denied him three times. But this picture of Satan asking for Peter, I want to sift him like wheat. Can you picture that big sifter in the hands of the supernatural and and Peter being tossed to and fro, trying to shake up his life? And he shook him for a season. But Peter was able to stand firm because he was built upon that solid foundation of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, Paul warns of the craftiness of Satan who deceived Eve. We need to be careful of that. There he said in verse 14, Satan himself transforms himself into angels of light. He can look like a brother. He can look like a sister. He can look like a, an angel. Whatever it takes to bring the deception on. Ephesians 6, Paul writes to us that we are to put on the whole armor of God that we would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil the whole armor of God to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. And when you have all these devices on, it tells you to stand, to stand firm against the wiles of the devil, but to stand firm, it's not an armament of retreat. It's covering your front side. You need to be ready when Satan comes Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 to escape the snares of the devil. Hey, it's a trap. Be careful. Every time I go on the Internet, I know there's traps out there trying to suck me in. We'll talk about this a little bit more so next week with this sexual purity. But right now, I need to change my web address because somebody's got our number and I throw away about 10 to 15 to 20 emails a day. They're just people I don't know but most of them are trying to they've got my number I've been tagged and I got that cleaned up at the house it's not here at the church yet but my address has been compromised and it's a snare it's a trap and I know if I go there that it will entangle me it will ensnare me I'm in danger of going down and so Paul warns Timothy and he's warning us to be careful Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5.8, saying, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Revelation 12.9, he's referred to as the deceiver of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And we are so ignorant of these things. Paul was nervous because he knew who his adversary was. And he is wrecking havoc to this day against the Lord's church. Things that are taking place within churches that would have never been thought of 10, 15, 20 years ago. He's wrecking havoc within the church itself. Dealing with the issue, can gay or lesbians be ordained as ministers of God? Well, yeah, if you twist the word of God to your own liking... But see, it was the twisting of Scripture that even gave foothold for that to take place. My wife this week was talking to a lady at her work. And at their church, they discovered that their pastor, who was fairly new to the church, had five years ago had an adulterous affair. So he was new to the church, no doubt trying to hide his past from them. That the church became aware of it. I don't know how. And he's not the pastor of their church any longer. Sounds like a good decision to me. Sad thing is, about half the church split and left with him when he began to start his own church. So half of the body was saying, I don't care if you've had an adulterous affair while you're in ministry, we still want to follow you. Now, my wife was telling me this story because of this reason. They're meeting at some kind of uh, AMVET, some moose club, some lodge that has a bar in there. And that's not a big deal. We've had a lot of Calvary chapels to start up in similar places and just clean it up and turn it into a church. The problem was, is that she said, and I even think this guy is tending bar there. So wait a minute, the pastor of the fellowship now is the bartender too? Interesting. So when he's serving, I'm thinking as a bartender, it so often becomes people's counselors. Does he have to, am I the bartender now or am I the pastor? But see, These things shouldn't be standing at all. We should not be ignorant of his devices. Satan has not changed his tactics. We're not to be ignorant of those devices. He desires to shake us, but we can stand firm when we stand firm on Christ alone and only him. And Peter said that our labor might be in vain as he was talking to them there. Lest the tempter come to you and our labor might be in vain. How could their labor be in vain? He said to them back in chapter 2, verse 1, our coming to you was not in vain. Hey, it wasn't a waste of time. We were only there for a short period of time, but you received faith in Jesus Christ. That wasn't in vain. But our labor is in danger of being in vain if the tempter can shake them to their core. Yesterday I was working on our house, putting brick on the front of the house and putting brick over the garage door. I had dimensions that I needed to be restricted in and also had something else going on, and I found that I wasn't following the dimensions as closely as I needed to. Kevin and my grandkids showed up about the time that I was finishing up. It was getting dark, but I knew I didn't hold my dimensions, and so I tried to take the mortar and squish them back in the brick to kind of open it up a little bit wasn't working, I did that twice, and then finally I tore down half the work that I'd spent doing. All that labor was just a waste of time, and I hate that. You even hate it when people show up when you're actually doing it. This is called tearing down your work. I was just wasting the last hour and a half of my day trying to get something accomplished. And you hate that, whether it's laying brick or you're a carpenter or in the construction field or even in any business. So often you can find yourself laboring in vain, a project you've been working on. You suddenly discover that everything you've been working on is is just, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen the way you thought it would. You're wasting your time. I hate to labor in vain. I hate that. But especially in regards to Christian faith. So often I'd seen people laboring in vain in this sense. not, Not that the labor is in vain. What Paul is saying is, as it was good for them to come there. Their coming was not in vain. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. People got saved, but they didn't grow in their faith. It happens in so many crusades. Billy Graham, Greg Glory, Raul Reese, all these guys who hold these big crusades. A lot of people respond to Christ, but if they don't walk with Christ, then the labor is in vain. The crusade in itself is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. But if there's not a continual growing relationship with that individual, with the Lord, then the labor is in vain. Back years ago when I was 22, 23 years old, my dad wanted me to be one of the deacons in his church. Apparently, he had presented this to the other deacons, and, and they, said, they nixed it and said, no, he's too young. Perhaps I was. So my dad got creative and said, okay, we'll, we'll create a, a thing called Junior deacon. And we'll let John serve for a year to see if it'll work or not. And so they did. And I began to serve, and I was part of all the deacon meetings, but I had no voting privileges as a junior deacon. But there was another guy who was a few years older than me, probably in his mid to later 20s, that was also a junior deacon along with me. It was during that year that his father got cancer and died and this guy's faith was shook to the core. A couple of years ago, his daughter was here in our fellowship for one Sunday. Happened to be just that Sunday was our Vacation Bible School celebration. And so I think that year I was, I forget what character I was dressed up as, but it just happened to be that day. But I was able to speak with her later and share with her and And she said at one point, I remember our family, when I was little, we used to always go to church. And then suddenly it just stopped. And I never knew the reason why. And I said, I know exactly why. I said, you see, the year that your grandfather got cancer and died, your dad prayed a prayer to the Lord saying, if you'll heal my dad, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Now, God chose to take this man home. And when he took this man home, this guy's faith was shook to its core. To this date, he's not in any fellowship. He's not walking with the Lord. I think he still believes. But the labor that had been put into him, it's all in vain. As I look back on that, that's laboring in vain. This guy had so much potential. He was a musician. He was a songwriter. There was so much potential. And all that labor, now in vain. It's my prayer that one day, he will realize this for himself and can return to the Lord. But you know, that's been... 23 years, 24 years ago. And just think about all the years that have been wasted. The guy's in his 50s now. His time on this earth is, well, let's face it. He's got a lot more years behind him than he does before him. The danger of laboring in vain. Father, you know our hearts. And as we are silent here before you this morning, Lord, it's my prayer that each person here, first and foremost, knows you, has put their faith in you, and they are now building their life upon that firm foundation. But we also know, Lord, that we have an adversary, Satan. And it could be, Lord, in the heavenlies, once we stand before you, we'll read in a book where Satan stood before you one day and asked about John and Lily, perhaps someone else here, and you had said to him, Have you considered my servant John? Have you considered my servant Lily? And you allowed us to go through, just as Satan asked for Peter. Lord, it's my prayer that we would be built so firmly upon your word, and upon our salvation, upon that rock, Lord Jesus, which is you, that though the storms of life may come against us, we will not be shook to fall away, but be a people who stand fast in our faith. May we be a people who continue to grow in our faith always. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847 265 zero six four six that's eight four seven two six five zero six four six. Thank you so much for joining us today and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.